0: life? Or does life live you? Come join us as we rebel against life's expectations and instead live the thriving life we are made for. Come grow, prosper, and multiply with us in all areas of life as we learn to thrive in who we are, what we do, and who we do it with. I'm Matt. I am Lindsay. And and we are Thriving Ones. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our Thriving One podcast. This is your host, Lindsay Coyle, and I am so excited to introduce to you guys our special guest today. Um, We just did a a conference last week, an online conference called Grace to Stay. Um, It's the first online conference that was hosted by Coyle Coaching Women, and it was absolutely phenomenal. Like There was a lot of healing that happened and wholeness. From the women, and I just so appreciate Natalie uh, for for joining us last week. But I want to introduce Natalie to you guys. Like, if this is your first time hearing about her, and I'm sure a lot of you already are very familiar with her. Like, she has been a great voice in this last few years, and I so appreciate the authority that she has in her life and for sharing her story. So, I want to introduce you guys to Natalie. But I'm I'm gonna share a quick bio for about her and then we're going to go ahead and ask her some 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 great questions and hopefully we can open up this conversation and you guys can also ask your questions when you see uh when when this podcast comes out so natalie is a pastor's kid turned pastor and he she has served the church for over 20 years as a worship leader a songwriter and pastor in various organizations and ministries across the country. And in 2019, after watching many of her peers walk away from the church and their faith, Natalie began Race to Stay, a ministry for those who have wandered, wondered and wrestled with the church and the challenges of full-time ministry. She's known for her black boxes of hard truth on social media for the church and church leaders her heart is to see a generation finish their race as they partner with a good father who is faithful to complete the work he began in each of us. So Natalie right now lives in Kentucky with her husband, Tony, and she has two daughters. And she is a sought-after speaker in the local and global church. And she released her first book, published with David Cook last summer. So you can learn more about Race to Stay on Instagram and also learn about her book. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. So, Natalie, thank you so much for joining us today in our podcast. We are so happy that you're here.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Lindsay.
0: Yeah, so um, so last week, you know, with the conference, uh, there were many, many questions that the women asked and I'm curious, you know, I I came came up with a few questions that um we're hoping to like address some of these issues, you know, like I I love the fact that you don't shy away from from what's really going on in in the current um, current season of the church as a whole and even individually. So I mean, you came up with your book, Race to Stay. Can you share some of the story behind the book or Race to Stay?
1: Well, I grew up in the church, so it's something that's in my DNA. It's it's kind of like mm-hmm. the family business that you know you don't yeah. want, but you inherit. And so that was really my, my life was the church. And so when my family walked out, a uh, really mm. hard church hurt my senior year of high yeah. school, it changed my life. I ended up going to a mm-hmm. secular college, majoring wow. in science. I wasn't even majoring in ministry. And mm-hmm. it was on that journey of kind of not wow. deconstructing. But mm-hmm. more so detangling from some of that religion, right? That put yeah. on me, and so I ended up going wow. into full time ministry as a worship leader, and mm-hmm. then in that, walking out my own church hurt, and wow. watching my own friends go through their walking away yes. from their faith walking away from the church. Mm -hmm. And so raised to stay was more of an, of a response to say, Mm -hmm. look, we can't quit. We can't give up. I'm, I'm sad watching my friends walk away. But at the same time, where, as where have we, as the church gotten it wrong? So it's Mm -hmm. a, it's a two-part conversation. Why are people leaving and what is happening in the local church to make people want to leave?
0: Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I think that um, one of the things that was really beautifully expressed last week was the tension, you know, of like what church hurt is and what it isn't. So, I mean, I know like that's a whole bunch of conversation, but for the sake of just like this podcast, um, can you briefly like address that part? Like, you know, like how do we hold the tension of this is church hurt and what it what isn't church hurt and how do we navigate that?
1: Well, first of all, I always say that if somebody tells me they've been hurt by the church or abused mm-hmm. in the church, I'm always yeah. going to believe them because, you know, yeah. our trauma informs our experiences. And so mm-hmm. what is trauma to one may not be trauma to the other. And so it's really important that True. we're listening to each other. You know, that churches are listening I to their that. congregants and their staff. Tell me your mm-hmm. story. Don't just assume, you know, what that word hurt right. means for yes. what the abuse might be. Now, Abuse, we know what abuse is. That's physical, sexual, psychological, emotional mm-hmm. damage that is done to an individual at the hands oh. of another person. We we know what mm-hmm. abuse is. We would never tell someone in an abusive marriage mm-hmm. to stay in an abusive marriage. Right. We're also not going to tell people in abusive churches to stay in abusive churches. And so mm-hmm. I want to just make that clear. Abuse is in yeah. its own category and it needs to be right. reported and it needs to be dealt yeah. with. Church hurts.
0: Mm-hmm. can be mm-hmm.
1: many things. And mm-hmm. at its definition, it's when trusted shepherds, trusted leaders, mm-hmm. church people use yeah. scripture to manipulate and maneuver people into feeling certain things mm-hmm. like shame, guilt, yeah. frustration, you know, mm-hmm. using scriptures to get what they yeah. want. Oh, so this is narcissistic wow. leaders. This is toxic leaders. Yeah. We've all been hurt by the church and we've probably Mm -hmm. all hurt people in the church. That's just human nature. So when it comes to church hurt, what it is, is anything that has used scripture or religion or anything Mm -hmm. to wield a sword, to get people to do what we want them to do and, and manipulate, maneuver, gaslight, however you want to say it. Now, what Mm -hmm. church hurt is not Mm. is accountability and love. It's when people hold us to a higher standard. Mm -hmm. When people hold us to a higher standard, those are things that church hurt is not. And mm. I believe that because this generation and I include myself in that this deconstruction yeah. church hurt movement has been so popular on social media yeah. that now we're just crying church hurt because we're right. Don't So I I did talk a little bit about that in the conference is that then there's church Mm -hmm. offense where we become offended by something or we pick up somebody else's offense. So Mm -hmm. in essence, we're all just human trying to carry a perfect gospel and we're not going to get it right 100% of the time, which is why we have to be having these conversations.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that you're able to articulate like, you know, like the the church abuse and the church hurt and the church offense. And I love that you addressed that at the conference as well. Like, I think that was one of the biggest things that I took away, you know, like just to as a leader, how to help people and just listen to their stories and to be able to walk in discernment. Like, what does that look like, you know, for me as a leader to help somebody walking through whatever, like church hurt, church, um, church abuse or are they just offended, you know like um, being able to articulate like what that what does that look like you know, and the discernment and so one of the things too that you talked about is um, and this is what I love I wrote this down you know um <clears throat> uh it's uh you you shared about um what was that uh I'm trying to look at my notes here. <laughs> You said, we can't keep talking about the conversation of deconstruction without talking about how to rebuild. So that really caught my attention, you know, because a lot of people like what you said, you know, this topic has been so popular. And um what are the nuances to that? Like, you know, like with that statement, like, you know, yeah, we just can't keep beating on this drum of the deconstruction. Um, but how do you give wisdom to like leaders and not just leaders, but anybody who's like, I'm deconstructing, you know, and then how do you navigate that, like, help people deconstruct, but also rebuilding the rebuilding process?
1: It's really kind of how Lisa Bevere said it in the foreword of mm. my book, when she talked about how deconstruction without any plans to rebuild is just destruction. And so yes, we have to remember that, like, any time in the Bible that I can think of where we talk about tearing things down.
0: Mm-hmm. almost
1: immediately afterwards is a conversation of, but there will be a time to rebuild. And, you know, we see yes. that in Ecclesiastes. We see it mm-hmm. when God is speaking to Jeremiah, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you're going to have a season where you're going to need to tear things down. And I think yeah. there's a lot of religion that many mm-hmm. of us are carrying that we don't need to be carrying that we can detangle from and and deconstruct from, but then rebuild back on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So That's if awesome. we're going to Have the conversation. Then we need mm-hmm. to be offering framework for, okay, now how do we rebuild mm-hmm. something? That is on Jesus. And the only way to do that is through the word of God, through scripture and knowing Uh, scripture. And I think
0: our
1: problem is that we have a biblically illiterate generation
0: who hasn't
1: really been in the word long enough to know how to rebuild using the tools that we've been given.
0: That's so good. I love that because I think it's a bigger conversation too. And I believe that it's like a, a, not just a bigger conversation, but a continuous conversation, like it's a journey, you know, it's not just like, here's a cookie cutter, an answer, here's a cookie cutter, step by step, you know, like, it's not like, we're not like the AA or something, you know, and, and I appreciate that, that, like, being able to, to just sit with the people and listen, you know, like, where they're at, in their journey, like, um, being able to be also sensitive to, what they're going through and also looking at them and saying like, I do have hope for this, you know? And maybe they don't have hope, but you have hope, but I have hope. And so I appreciate that conversation. And And I think my husband and I are in that spot too, to where like people come to us, like who are deconstruct- deconstructing. And we're also being very cautious and asking the Lord, like, hey, you know, to not just, like, to, to sit with them in the deconstruction process, but also like giving them hope you know, um, that there is a time to rebuild, you know, that there is a time to, to move forward in healing and wholeness. So I really, really appreciate that conversation and thank you so much for addressing that. But another thing that I'm curious about, like, you know, there is a testimony that you shared about what happened to your family at the church that your dad pastored at. And there was also a redemption that you experienced recently. Like, would you mind sharing it here? Um, to people that may be watching and listening, I know they will be encouraged because there's many people, you know, may, may have been in or are going through a similar situation. Well,
1: being a pastor's kid in the 90s, a lot of us lived in church mm-hmm. parsonages. It was a different yeah. time in the yeah. evangelical church where, you know, it was your your life was a mesh in the church. And I always mm-hmm. say that we spent more time with our church family than we did with our extended right.
0: Family. Right. And, you know,
1: living in the parsonage, we'd walk over every Sunday. It was just part of our routine. And one Sunday, mm-hmm. my senior year of high school, we show up and completely blindsided. We're told by the board that wow. it's our last Sunday and to pack our wow. church house up and, and hit the road. And, you mm-hmm. know, it was so devastating as a impressionable 18 year old to be with his church family for so many years. And then in just yeah. one Sunday morning, have it all taken. And so I wrestled with that for years. I mean, that was in Mm
0: -hmm. 1997. Wow. Um,
1: I went to college and got married, had children. And in the back of my mind, always wondering like, what, what happened? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, kids were kind of collateral damage in this ministry world sometimes. And a few years ago, as I was writing Raised to Stay, I was living in Colorado and I got a call from that church, from the new pastors of this church. Wow. And it just so happened that the new pastors were in my youth group at the time <laughs> and they were having the 100 year anniversary of the, um, of the church that we had been attending a long time ago. And they said, Hey, we're calling back a lot of people that used to come here and we love what you're doing with raise this day. Would you come and lead worship? Wow. And my first initial reaction was like, no, like I don't want to go back to that. I've had counseling. I, I, you sure. know, I've forgiven people lots of questions still, but I've forgiven and mm-hmm. The Lord just gently nudged me and was kind of like, you know, you're writing this book about a reconciled church and you don't have a mm. final chapter yet. Like, what if I have right. something there for you to That's to see amazing. or to experience? And so wow. I called him back and said, I'd come. I flew home, went in, the church parsonage had been torn down. You know, a lot of mm. life had happened to the church. And
0: yeah,
1: It was very bittersweet to pull in and to walk through those doors. And the smells are the same and the sights are the mm-hmm. same. And there are people sitting in the same pews that were sitting in those wow. pews 25 years ago. Wow. And you know, we started the worship and it was just crazy because there were people on that platform that were part of our exit who didn't try to stop it. Who didn't defend us. And wow. yeah. you know, I'm wrestling with all my emotions as a 40 year old woman, you know, I was 18. Sorry. I'm too young. <laughs> and I'm up there on the platform and I get through the set. And I just, I I think I was like kind of in a dream world, maybe during the set and the, the pastor comes up yeah. and he starts to introduce all of us on the platform and wow. he gets to me and he said, this is Natalie Thomas. He used my maiden name. And when he said it, you could kind of hear this audible gasp in the room. Like people suddenly realized who I was on the platform. Wow. They hadn't seen me since I was a teenager. Yeah. And he said, Natalie's dad was one of our favorite pastors to ever pastor this church. And in that moment, the whole room went up in applause. Wow. And it struck me that that congregation was just as innocent as we Mm were. It was a few leaders who made a bad decision that hurt us, but the entire church did not hurt us. And that actually, they loved us and they were just as broken over what had happened as we were. I came off the platform after the service and all of these old ladies are coming up to me and they're kissing me and they're saying, tell your mom, she oh. was our favorite singer and tell your dad, oh he was gosh. my favorite hunting buddy. And <laughs> I just realized that what I had thought was an exile was actually an exodus. Like whatever was Ooh. happening in the leadership of that church, I we weren't it. meant to be there for that. And the mm-hmm. Lord rescued us. He got us out. And yeah. you know, now what's crazy is my parents attend that church now and they're mentoring oh. new pastors And they were just there yesterday. And my dad was praying over the congregation just as he had 30 years ago. And I see it. And I just think, you know, so many times we quit before God can bring reconciliation. And that happened 30 years later. And so, you know, I don't know that's everybody's story. And I I certainly Mm -hmm. wouldn't go back to a church that abused me, like Mm -hmm. truly abused me. But to be able to go back into a situation and see it through the lens of, healing wow. and not through hurt took mm-hmm. a lot of time. And I I just believe that sometimes we're in a hurry for other people's mm-hmm. healing, but God is not in a hurry mm-hmm. with our healing. And oh. we do have to, you know, understand that it may not happen tomorrow, but we have mm-hmm. no idea the reconciliation and restoration God's working on behind the scenes. And so that's really been such a healing piece for my entire family yeah. has been to go back into relationship with some of those yeah.
0: people. That's amazing. I love the fact that you were able to see that redemption and reconciliation in your lifetime, you know, because sometimes, you know, like there's, there's people that may never, they may never see that redemption and reconciliation. But, um, I love what you said. Like, you know, like if we quit, then we may never know what this redemption or reconciliation looked like, you know? And I, I love also the fact that you, you included in your, um, the 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 conference last week about like quitting is not our legacy, you know, and it's quitting. It's it's like I I took a step back and I was like, wow, like quitting is not just something like oh I quit, but it, it. I'm looking at my daughter now too, like you know, oh this is something that it's I can pass it on to her. Like it is a legacy. It's not just something that I do. Like okay, I'm gonna do it and then I'm not, you know, and so. I felt like that was really significant. And I felt like that this story, your testimony is such a significant thing for people to to hear and see and, and bring so much hope and courage for people to stay, you know, because we're staying for God, staying for Jesus. And at the same time, we're also wrestling with the fact that we all work with people <laughs> and we're not perfect. So thank you so much for that. Like, I really love that um, there's hope and there's, there's encouragement in your story. So, um, and this is, this is my, my other question. Like you announced that you are coming out with a second book. So I am so excited for that. And what do you think, you know, I don't, you don't have to talk about like anything about the book but I really felt like that the second book is almost like what's the next conversation to be had you know and so can you share like you know like we've talked about we talked about deconstruction reconstruction and obviously that's going to be an ongoing conversation no matter what but you know like what is your sense like what do you think is the next conversation to be had in the body of Christ
1: I feel like we have to start being honest about where we have built on faulty foundations that mm-hmm. were never part of Jesus's original blueprint for the church. Yeah. And, you know, repentance is an interesting thing in the church because I think we, we look at repentance as, Oh, I'm going to repent of my sins so that I Mm. personally am able to get to heaven. So God, forgive me. God, forgive me. We, we do, we hopefully as believers, we are in a place of daily repentance for our own individual lives, but there's a corporate repentance that I believe is coming. Mm. And when we look at the original church in acts, In Acts Mm -hmm. 1, 12 through 14, it says that they agreed that they were in this together for the Mm -hmm. good, and they gathered in prayer. And it was through this prayer, and then later in Acts chapter 2, Peter calling the entire room, the upper room, into a place of repentance Mm -hmm. that led to the multiplication and revival that would be the first church. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that the next conversation is falling down on our faces, and actually a conversation of repentance, and saying... Uh. We have Mm -hmm. built on celebrity culture. We have built on consumerism. We have built on politics. We have built on finances. But what we haven't done well Mm
0: -hmm.
1: is go back to what we know to be the original blueprint, which is prayer, worship, fasting, community, meals Mm -hmm. over together. COVID divided us Mm -hmm. so much in isolation and in political views and in science Mm -hmm. over Christianity. I mean, so many things. Right. And I, I believe this conversation has to be a conversation of unity. It has to get us Mm -hmm. all back on the same page. And so we have to get back to the word of God and Mm. it's going to be hard for a lot of pastors to read what I have written and to acknowledge that they have partnered with Mm. Mm -hmm. some pagan foundations. Mm -hmm. And I believe that it's going to uncover some idols as well. And so it's not an easy conversation. And, you know, Mm -hmm. in fact, I sat in my prayer space this morning and just repented like where have I partnered where have I aligned with me um that have contributed to hurting others Mm -hmm. or even pulling me away from my first love so this Mm -hmm. this conversation of repentance is is an uncomfortable conversation um but Mm -hmm. it is going to be vital for the rebuilding of Jesus's Mm -hmm. church
0: yeah I love that because you know I I mean, I've been in ministry for 25 years and I grew, you know, like I got saved in the nineties and um, I'm just looking back now in my journey, you know, and I, I don't know if I was just oblivious to things and my husband always jokes about like, I'm naive at some point, like with certain things, you know, so, so people say something, something to me or do something to me. And I'm like, Oh, okay. They must just be having a, a bad day or a hard time. And, and, um, I think like very much recently, like, you know, um, Probably the same year, 2019, like I went through a process of healing and I look back and I'm like, wow, you know, not only that what was said and done to me, but also what because I was conditioned in that culture, I also look back in my own leadership. I'm like, oh no, like I totally gaslighted this this person, I totally did this and did that. And I went through a process, it was hard, you know, because I was healing for myself. And as I was healing, I also recognized like the things that I did and said that probably like did some damage, you know, and I went back and started apologizing to some of the people I pastored and it was a hard conversation, but it was almost like, I felt like I was dying, you know, while I was doing it. And I said like, well, that's because that's what we're supposed to do, you know, and thank you so much for that. I'm really excited and looking forward to watching, or sorry, um, reading that book, um, I think that as a leader, like, as you know, like we just launched a a church here in Eugene, Oregon, and we don't have a space yet. But I think as a leader, it's also important for me. And at the timing of your Race to Stay book, and this book, next book coming out, um, I feel like it's going to help us, you know, my husband and I, to like, really look into things, you know, because I love what you said, you said something, um, I would rather har- want, want revival than revenge. And I think that's a really, really key statement there, you know, in the process of healing and stuff. So I do have one more and um, one more one more question and more like a statement, you know, because I saw one of your black boxes recently and it it really encouraged me. And I wanted you to address this, like you know, and incur- more like an encouragement to people who may have been hurt or gone through some really difficult times in the church. Um, you put in your black box, there are more people for you than against you. So I know like when people are, are in pain, you know, they like Elijah was like, I'm the only person, I'm the only prophet left. <laughs> and God says, no, 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 you're not the only one. Like, and he showed, you know, how many prophets are still there. And would you like kind of give an encouragement based off of that? Like maybe addressing the people who feel alone right now, who feel like, okay, I don't know where I belong and stuff. And so, yeah. So why would you mind addressing that?
1: Isolation is such an, a lie of the enemy to make us all feel like we're the only ones who are wrestling Mm -hmm. with anxiety or only ones wrestling with hurt, or, or rejection and everywhere I go. And I'm in churches Mm. every weekend. I'm in different churches, different denominations, different parts of the world. We're all struggling with the same lies. And when we start to speak life over each other, when we start to separate the lies from the truth of God's word, we realize that there are actually more people who are hoping for our success, hoping for our Mm -hmm. peace, who, Mm -hmm. who love us more people who are speaking good about us than people who are planning our demise or hoping that we fail. And, You know, we have to remember that God is the one who advocates for us, that Jesus Mm. advocates for us to the Father. We have the ultimate advocate in heaven Mm -hmm. who is advocating on our behalf. So that first right there is a huge encouragement to know that we have Jesus Christ, our advocate. Second of all, you know, the enemy is the accuser. So anytime Mm -hmm. we hear this accusation that there are people that don't like us or that we annoy people or we're too much or we're not enough, that isn't God's voice. And so we have to start to cast down, pull down Mm -hmm. that high thing that is contradictory to the word of God, to Mm -hmm. who God says we are. And remember that there are people that God has placed strategically in our lives who may not be sending us Mm -hmm. like texts every day, like, oh, I'm cheering you on. But when they think of you, they think fondly of you. They think Mm -hmm. highly of you. And if your name was brought up in a room, they would speak Mm -hmm. well of you. And I just, every day we have to wake up and say that there are more people for me than against Mm -hmm. me. And if my God is for me, who can be against Mm -hmm. me? And we have to start combating those lies of, of loneliness and isolation and we're the only ones. Mm -hmm. And you think about Jesus, I mean, he was in the desert fasting and every time he got to a place like high up, the enemy would come and he would try to tempt. And even in our success, the enemy is there yeah. to try to rob us. Even in yeah. our spiritual highs, the enemy is there. Mm-hmm. And we have to combat those lies every day with the truth that says, get yeah. thee behind me, Satan. This is who my God is. You have no dominion here mm-hmm. and and step wow. into that authority.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for that, Natalie. Like I I love that you're able to put language on the, the many different tensions really that we need to address in the church you know like the tension of that like just you know like even though like you you feel like people feel alone like you you're reminding ourselves that there are more for you than against you like there are people who actually are wanting to see you succeed and wanting to see you bring hope and life everywhere you go and I think it's a great reminder that even as we go through the conversations that we're having right now which I so appreciate like you know like you're a, a huge voice in that like i think that as as we navigate that like it's 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 good to be reminded of of the the good things that are happening you know like i i talk about like the triggers and the glimmers and i i feel like it's like a two part thing like you know like that the triggers um that's us know like hey there's an area in our life that needs healing and wholeness and then the glimmers is just like thinking about like those micro moments in your daily life, like that make you uh, like, you know, that make you feel grateful for certain things. And then I think that when we look at the glimmers of hope in the church right now, you know, like we, we can say like, okay, there's hope, like, okay, like we can move forward. I mean, if, if all we look at is like G- look at Jesus and what he did on the cross, we're like, yes, that's enough. You know, like it's, it's enough like what he did and the price that he paid for our freedom. So anyway, um, as we close, thank you so much, Natalie. As we close um, this time, do you have any encouragement to the church as a whole? Like just any encouragement?
1: The church is thriving, the church is growing, mm-hmm. the church is God's idea, and anything mm-hmm. that's God's idea is a good idea. And, mm-hmm. you know, it says in the scriptures that the gates of hell will not prevail against mm-hmm. God's church. And that he's building his church upon the rock, that we get to be that uh, part of that foundation. And and so what I want to let people know is that, yes, there is a deconstruction movement. Yes, mm-hmm. there are people who are hurt, but there is more good coming from the churches. And I'm in them. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing it. Mm-hmm. There are better. There are more good shepherds than bad shepherds. Mm-hmm. There are more booming and thriving mm-hmm. congregations than dying ones. Wow. And Wow. When we step into the family of God, we are part of more than just a building. We're part of the ecclesia. We're part of the call out ones. And that is our honor to get to mm-hmm. partner with Jesus and building a church that he himself would walk into. Yeah. And so yeah. I have hope for the church. The church is by far not going anywhere. We Mm. are the called out ones and we are not going anywhere. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the enemy can keep on huffing and puffing and trying to blow (laughs) the house down, but he won't, he won't prevail. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much, Natalie, for your time and wisdom. Um, We so appreciate your passion for healing and wholeness within the body of Christ. I think it's a great conversation to have um, and keep having, you know, and for those of you who are watching and listening, you know, um, if you have not yet, I highly encourage you to check out at race to stay on Instagram and grab Natalie's book race to stay. Um, I, I I grabbed mine from amazon.com. Um, it's pretty easy to do, you know, Rick um, is race to stay. Like, I mean, I, I looked at the, the last portion of your book, you know, race to stay is for the wandering church leaders, church goers and church wounded because in a world of faulty promises in communities that let us down, God can craft the pieces of our faith into something beautiful. So Natalie's message of healing for your wounds and hope for your faith is such an amazing thing, you know, in this season of our lives. So thank you everyone for watching. And again, thank you, Natalie, for joining us and we will see you soon.